Chapter 1, Part 1 of The Hope of the Gospel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jordan. The Hope of the Gospel by George MacDonald. Chapter 1 Salvation from Sin. Part 1 And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 I would help some to understand what Jesus came from the home of our Father to be to us and do for us. Everything in the world is more or less misunderstood at first. We have to learn what it is and come at length to see that it must be so, that it could not be otherwise. Then we know it, and we never know a thing really until we know it thus. I presume there is scarce a human being who, resolved to speak openly, would not confess to having something that plagued him, something from which he would gladly be free, something rendering it impossible for him, at the moment, to regard life as an altogether good thing. Most men, I presume, imagine that, free of such and such things antagonistic, life would be an unmingled satisfaction, worthy of being prolonged indefinitely. The causes of their discomfort are of all kinds, and the degrees of it reach from simple uneasiness to a misery such as makes annihilation the highest hope of the sufferer who can persuade himself of its possibility. Perhaps the greater part of the energy of this world's life goes forth in the endeavour to rid itself of discomfort. Some, to escape it, leave their natural surroundings behind them, and with a strong and continuous effort keep rising in the social scale, to discover, at every new ascent, fresh trouble, as they think, awaiting them, whereas, in truth, they have brought the trouble with them. Others, making haste to be rich, are slow to find out that the poverty of their souls, nonetheless that their purses are filling, will yet keep them unhappy. Some court endless change, nor know that on themselves the change must pass that will set them free. Others expand their souls with knowledge, only to find that content will not dwell in the great house they have built. To number the varieties of human endeavour to escape discomfort would be to enumerate all the modes of such life as does not know how to live. All seek the thing whose defect appears the cause of their misery, and is but the variable occasion of it, the cause of the shape it takes, not of the misery itself. For when one apparent cause is removed, another at once succeeds. The real cause of his trouble is a something the man has not perhaps recognized as even existent. In any case, he is not yet acquainted with its true nature. However absurd the statement may appear to one who has not yet discovered the fact for himself, the cause of every man's discomfort is evil, moral evil. First of all, evil in himself, his own sin, his own wrongness, his own unrightness, and then evil in those he loves. With the latter I have not now to deal. The only way to get rid of it is for the man to get rid of his own sin. No special sin may be recognizable as having caused this or that special physical discomfort which may indeed have originated with some ancestor. But evil in ourselves is the cause of its continuance, the source of its necessity, 
and the preventive of that patience which would soon take from it, or at least blunt its sting. The evil is essentially unnecessary, and passes with the attainment of the object for which it is permitted, namely, the development of pure will in man. The suffering also is essentially unnecessary. But while the evil lasts, the suffering, whether consequent or merely concomitant, is absolutely necessary. Foolish is the man, and there are many such men, who would rid himself or his fellows of discomfort by setting the world right, by waging war on the evils around him, while he neglects that integral part of the world where lies his business, his first business, namely, his own character and conduct. Were it possible, an absurd supposition, that the world should thus be righted from the outside, it would yet be impossible for the man who had contributed to the work, remaining what he was, ever to enjoy the perfection of the result, himself not in tune with the organ he had tuned. He must imagine it still a distracted, jarring instrument. The philanthropist who regards the wrong as in the race, forgetting that the race is made up of conscious and wrong individuals, forgets also that wrong is always generated in and done by an individual, that the wrongness exists in the individual, and by him is passed over as tendency to the race, and that no evil can be cured in the race, except by its being cured in its individuals. Tendency is not absolute evil. It is there that it may be resisted, not yielded to. There is no way of making three men right, but by making right each one of the three. But a cure in one man, who repents and turns, is a beginning of the cure of the whole human race. Even if a man's suffering be a far inheritance, for the curing of which, by faith and obedience, this life would not be sufficiently long, faith and obedience will yet render it endurable to the man, and overflow in help to his fellow sufferers. The groaning body, wrapped in the garment of hope, will, with outstretched neck, look for its redemption and endure. The one cure for any organism is to be set right, to have all its parts brought into harmony with each other. The one comfort is to know the cure in process. Rightness alone is cure. The return of the organism to its true self is its only possible ease. To free a man from suffering, he must be set right, put in health, and the health, at the root of man's being, his rightness is to be free from wrongness, that is, from sin. A man is right when there is no wrong in him. The wrong, the evil, is in him. He must be set free from it. I do not mean set free from the sins he has done. That will follow. I mean the sins he is doing, or is capable of doing. The sins in his being which spoil his nature. The wrongness in him. The evil he consents to. The sin he is which makes him do the sin he does. To save a man from his sins is to say to him, in sense perfect and eternal, rise up and walk, be at liberty in thy essential being, be free as the Son of God is free. To do this for us, Jesus was born and remains born to all the ages. When misery drives a man to call out to the source of his life, and I take the increasing outcry against existence as a sign of the growth of the race toward a sense of the need of regeneration, the answer, I think, 
will come in a quickening of his conscience. This earnest of the promised deliverance may not, in all probability will not, be what the man desires. He will want only to be rid of his suffering, but that he cannot have, save in being delivered from its essential root, a thing infinitely worse than any suffering it can produce. If he will not have that deliverance, he must keep his suffering. Through chastisement, he will take at last the only way that leads into the liberty of that which is and must be. There can be no deliverance but to come out of his evil dream into the glory of God. It is true that Jesus came in delivering us from our sins to deliver us also from the painful consequences of our sins. But these consequences exist by the one law of the universe, the true will of the perfect. That broken, that disobeyed by the creature, disorganization renders suffering inevitable. It is the natural consequence of the unnatural, and in the perfection of God's creation, the result is curative of the cause. The pain, at least, tends to the healing of the breach. The Lord never came to deliver men from the consequences of their sins, while yet those sins remained. That would be to cast out of window the medicine of cure, while yet the man lay sick, to go dead against the very laws of being. Yet men, loving their sins, and feeling nothing of their dread hatefulness, have, consistently with their low condition, constantly taken this word concerning the Lord, to mean that he came to save them from the punishment of their sins. The idea, the miserable fancy rather, has terribly corrupted the preaching of the gospel. The message of the good news has not been truly delivered. Unable to believe in the forgiveness of their Father in heaven, imagining him not at liberty to forgive, or incapable of forgiving forthright, not really believing him God our Saviour, but a God bound either in his own nature, or by a law above him and compulsory upon him, to exact some recompense or satisfaction for sin, a multitude of teaching men have taught their fellows that Jesus came to bear our punishment and save us from hell. They have represented a result as the object of his mission. The said result nowise to be desired by true man, save as consequent on the gain of his object. The mission of Jesus was from the same source and with the same object as the punishment of our sins. He came to work along with our punishment. He came to side with it and set us free from our sins. No man is safe from hell until he is free from his sins. But a man to whom his sins, that is, the evil things in him, are a burden, while he may indeed sometimes feel as if he were in hell, will soon have forgotten that ever he had any other hell to think of, than that of his sinful condition. For to him his sins are hell. He would go to the other hell to be free of them. Free of them hell itself would be endurable to him. For hell is God's and not the devil's. Hell is on the side of God and man, to free the child of God from the corruption of death. Not one soul will ever be redeemed from hell, but by being saved from his sins, from the evil in him. If hell be needful to save him, hell will blaze and the worm will writhe and bite until he takes refuge in the will of the Father. 
Salvation from hell is salvation as conceived by such to whom hell and not evil is the terror. But if even for dread of hell a poor soul seek the Father, he will be heard of him in his terror, and, taught of him to seek the immeasurably greater gift, will in the greater receive the less. There is another important misapprehension of the work of the messengers of the good tidings, that they threaten us with punishment because of the sins we have committed, whereas their message is of forgiveness, not of vengeance, of deliverance, not of evil to come. Not for anything he has committed do they threaten a man with the outer darkness, not for any or all of his sins that are past shall a man be condemned. Not for the worst of them needs he dread remaining unforgiven. The sin he dwells in, the sin he will not come out of, is the sole ruin of a man. His present, his live sins, those pervading his thoughts and ruling his conduct, the sins he keeps on doing and will not give up, the sins he is called to abandon and clings to, the same sins which are the cause of his misery, though he may not know it, these are they for which he is even now condemned. It is true the memory of the wrongs we have done is, or will become very bitter, but not for those is condemnation. And if that in our character which made them possible were abolished, remorse would lose its worst bitterness in the hope of future amends. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. It is the indwelling badness, ready to produce bad actions, that we need to be delivered from. Against this badness, if a man will not strive, he is left to commit evil and reap the consequences. To be saved from these consequences would be no deliverance. It would be an immediate, ever-deepening damnation, it is the evil in our being, no essential part of it, thank God. The miserable fact that the very child of God does not care for his father and will not obey him, causing us to desire wrongly, act wrongly, or where we try not to act wrongly, yet making it impossible for us not to feel wrongly. This is what he came to deliver us from. Not the things we have done, but the possibility of doing such things any more. With the departure of this possibility, and with the hope of confession hereafter to those we have wronged, will depart also the power over us of the evil things we have done, and so we shall be saved from them also. The bad that lives in us, our evil judgments, our unjust desires, our hate and pride and envy and greed and self-satisfaction, these are the souls of our sins, our live sins, more terrible than the bodies of our sins, namely, the deeds we do inasmuch as they not only produce these loathsome things, but make us loathsome as they. Our wrong deeds are our dead works. Our evil thoughts are our live sins. These, the essential opposites of faith and love, the sins that dwell and work in us, are the sins from which Jesus came to deliver us. When we turn against them and refuse to obey them, they rise in fierce insistence, but the same moment begin to die. We are then on the Lord's side, as he has always been on ours, and he begins to deliver us from them. Anything in you which, in your own child, would make you feel him not so pleasant as you would have him, 
is something wrong. This may mean much to one, little or nothing to another. Things in a child which to one parent would not seem worth minding would fill another with horror. After his moral development, whether one parent would smile, the other would look aghast, perceiving both the present evil and the serpent brood to follow. But as the love of him who is love transcends ours as the heavens are higher than the earth, so must he desire in his child infinitely more than the most jealous love of the best mother can desire in hers. He would have him rid of all discontent, all fear, all grudging, all bitterness in word or thought, all gauging and measuring of his own with a different rod from that he would apply to another's. He will have no curling of the lip, no indifference in him to the man whose service in any form he uses, no desire to excel another, no contentment at gaining by his loss. He will not have him receive the smallest service without gratitude, would not hear from him a tone to jar the heart of another, a word to make it ache, be the ache ever so transient. For such, as from all other sins, Jesus was born to deliver us, not primarily or by itself from the punishment of any of them. When all are gone, the holy punishment will have departed also. He came to make us good and therein blessed children. End of chapter 1, part 1